morning, everybody. Good to see you. We're going to talk about winning today from the life of Elijah. We're talking about full contact living. There's an outline on the back of this blue bulletin with some scriptures. If you'd like to follow along and fill in some blanks. Winning, winning. Mike Tyson said, everybody has a game plan till they get hit in the mouth. Everybody has a game plan till they get hit in the mouth. Who hit Elijah in the mouth? Who, who nailed him in the mouth? Was it, was it the king? Was it King Ahab? No. Was it the 850, you know, devil-worshipping false prophets of Baal that hit him in the mouth? No. Who was it that hit him in the mouth? Jezebel. Jezebel hit him right in the mouth, and man, it rocked him, and it rocked him really bad. You know, that must have been extremely humiliating for a kind of tough-as-nails, mountain, macho man like Elijah was, right? That must have been very, very difficult. And you might say, you know, John, that seems a little far-fetched. You know, you got a guy who's going toe-to-toe with the king, right, King Ahab. Then you got a guy who's going toe-to-toe with 850 false prophets of Baal, right? So why in the world, when the queen just simply says, you know, gives him this threat, tomorrow, man, you're, you're in my hands, I'm coming after you, why in the world would he just run scared to death? Well, and I would think that'd be a little far-fetched too, but you know what? Something happened to me about 10 years ago in my life. My son was playing Little League Baseball, and... One of the guys who was like the assistant manager on the team, the assistant coach or whatever, he's about 6'4", 6'5", 230, 240, great big old guy. And one day the kids were in the dugout, and I just happened to be standing right there so I could see everything going on. They were acting up, and he couldn't get them to do anything, and they refused. And finally, the, kid, the guy says, the big, huge guy says, he had a son on the team. His son's name was Tyler. And he says to them, he says, look, if you kids don't straighten up, I'm going to go get Tyler's mom. I thought, are you serious? Six five two fifty. I'm gonna go get Tyler's mom. I'm gonna get mom to come in here and get you. And boy, all the kids immediately straightened up. So he gets punched right in the mouth. Elijah does by Queen Jezebel. She nails him. Now, last week Derek talked about this. He talked about recharging. It was an excellent message. If you haven't heard it, go on the website and listen to it because what he talks about there was. What did Elijah need to do to get back on track? He needed to recharge. Elijah is tired. He's exhausted. He has been the most wanted person in the entire land of Israel. If you walked into any post office in Israel during that time, there was his picture front and center, right, right there. And all of that because he was wanted so much and the king is sending people all over the place to look for Elijah. All that pressure is stress. And when we're under long-term stress, it just, it, it needles away, it just chips away at us. And it screws our thinking up, and we make some bad decisions. We are very susceptible, when we've been going through long-term stress, we are very, very susceptible to kind of succumbing to fear and to self-pity, to depression, to despondency, to discouragement, all of those things. Like, we live in a very stressful city. And we put ourselves in very stressful situations, don't we? And when we undergo stress for a long amount of time, it just, it just takes right the foundation out from us. And all of a sudden, the floor falls out. Right? And this is what happens to, to Elijah. The floor completely falls out. We're going to talk about that in just a second, what he prays for. And two weeks from today is Easter. Two weeks today from Easter. I don't ever recall an Easter being the last Sunday in April. It's been a long time. Easter is the last Sunday in April, and we're going to begin two weeks from today a series on stress, God's way of dealing with stress from the book of Daniel. So I hope you'll come out for that. Anyway, let's, uh, let's read about Elijah here and the condition that he's in. This is what it says. 
Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. The great and mighty mountain man prophet of God hit in the mouth by Queen Jezebel is all by himself in the desert under a little tiny broom tree praying that he might die. How did he get there? There's a few things we need to pick out of here that's really important. First of all, it says he goes to Beersheba, he leaves his servant there, and then he walks out into the desert all by himself, and then he prays to die. Where's Beersheba? Well, if you want to look at it this way, everybody, he is in Israel, and Mount Carmel was up near the modern uh, city in Israel called Haifa. Anybody heard of Haifa? Beautiful city that's on the Mediterranean Sea. So he's all the way up here at Mount Carmel, Haifa, right? So he goes all the way down to Beersheba. He treks all the way through Israel, south, 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 south. There's nothing much left after Beersheba. In Elijah's day, once you got to Beersheba, you've reached the southern limit of the promised land, the southern limit of the, of the land of hope. So he's saying, I want to die. It's basically the land of hope stops right here and he gets right up to the board and he says okay god go ahead and take me but he doesn't step across isn't that interesting he gets up to the limit but he doesn't go across you know why i'm thinking he goes all the way to the southern limit because what he's saying is you know what i I have no hope left but i actually have inside of my heart just a little bit some of us are here today and we're hopeless we're hopeless that we'll ever live a full contact life we're hopeless that we'll ever get past all the stuff that's going on in us we're hopeless that we're ever going to really be able to charge or be able to really experience all that we would like to experience in life and all the, this abundant life stuff that we keep talking about from the scripture we're thinking man that's never going to it's never going to happen for me but deep inside of you you've got this little sliver of hope left like you stopped at Beersheba. Part of you said, I just want to keep going. I just want to keep going south till I fall off the map. But for some reason, you stopped in Beersheba, and for some reason, you're here today. And the reason you're here today is because you have just that little bit of hope left. You haven't gone off the range yet. You haven't gone completely off the grid. You're still here. And so it says, it says right here, that then he prays to die. Tom Landry has a great quote, and I just, you know, if you can look past the name, for a second, because I know that's upsetting to you all that really love the Lord. God, how could I be mentioning a guy like Tom Landry who coached the evil empire? But, okay, if you'll bear with me for a second, it's very good. He said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word. Help us to hear what it is we need to do to live that full contact life to participate in, Jesus, what you talked about, abundant living. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want to say here about Elijah, he's in really good company, praying to die. He's in really good company. You know, there's a couple other famous people in the Bible who also prayed to die. You know, Moses did it. Moses said, I had enough. I want to die. Jonah did it. I had enough. I want to die. The Apostle Paul, he did the same thing. I've had enough. I want to die. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse number eight. He says this. I've been under so much pressure. I feel like dying. I've been under so much stress. I'm fatigued so much. I feel like giving up. I feel like dying. I'm going to read you a quote here. Tell me if you have any idea who might have said this. And I'll give you a hint. It was an American president. I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were distributed to the entire human race, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. 
to remain as I am is impossible. I must die to be better. What American president said those words? Anybody? Guess? Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said that. Elijah's in very good company with both people in the Bible, people outside the Bible. We go through tough times. Now, how does he get back? How did he get to where he is now, far, far away from full contact living? Because he was the guy who embodied full contact living. So how did he go from here to way over here? All right, let's review. Let's track with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 17, verse number 1, God says very clearly, he says, Elijah, you go and confront Ahab. That's your assignment. Go. Boom. Go and confront him about what's happened here. Tell him it's not going to rain at your word. So 17.1, he does that. He completes that assignment. Then what happens next? He completes the assignment. Then what happens next? 17, verse number 2. God says, okay, now, Elijah, assignment number 2. I want you to go to Cherith, and I want you to stay there until I tell you it's time to go. So he does it. Boom. Goes that assignment. So now here's him in Cherith. All right, 17, chapter 17, verses 8 and 9. God says, okay, you've completed your assignment in Cherith. Now I want you to go to where? What's happened? After, anybody know? After Cherith, go where? Zarephath, I know you know it, you're just shy. Zarephath, because everybody's just, just riveted to these messages. All right, so uh, Zarephath, so go to, go, go to Zarephath, right? And then after Zarephath, chapter 18, verse number 1, God says, next thing, okay, now I want you to go confront Ahab again. All along the way, God's been saying specifically do this, do this, do this. He gets these assignments, he gets these assignments, he gets these assignments. But after Carmel, after the showdown on Mount Carmel, what happens? He is without direction. He is without purpose and he is totally drifting and he's not bothering to stop and say now what what do i do now god he doesn't bother to do that he's just exhausted he's worn out he has no purpose he has no direction he just says i just want to die he doesn't bother to stop and he really needs to stop and say now every time that you start a new day like today is a new day it's really good and the bible talks particularly in the psalms we hear so much about this every new day you should greet every new day with god we've got a blank page here we got a blank new day here. What do you want to do with my life today? Every time you start a new chapter in your life, every time something, every time you complete something, and there's that pause between the completion and the beginning, well, we have got to go to God and say, what's the new assignment? What's the new direction? I need to know from you. Because when we find ourselves in a place without purpose and without direction from Almighty God, we are susceptible to going off the map to falling out of full contact living. And this is exactly what he needed to do. So we can learn from this, from his life. So here's the thing. Winning is, please fill this in. This is really important. Here's what is winning in God's book. Winning is for us in the terms of full contact living. Winning is knowing and doing God's will for your life. That's what winning is. Plain and simple. Winning is knowing and doing God's will for your life. Now, we are offering something. It's in your bulletin starting May the 10th, called God's Gifts, God's Will. It's a class we're going to do. It's a very simple class, very simple class, but it has a couple really, really important things that we take you through, right? And I want to have somebody, Tinley Harden's going to come up now, and she's going to talk to us for a few minutes. We did this about a year ago, and Tinley mentioned something to me. Gosh, I think, Tinley, the first time you told me about it was the Christmas Eve service when you were walking out. You told me, I left my Ph.D. program. So uh, Tenley left a Ph.D. program as a result of this class. Now, I want to say this is a disclaimer before Tenley starts. Okay? 
I'm not telling you, you come to this class and man, presto, bang, you're going to get God's will. And please don't leave your PhD programs and come back and say that somehow I'm responsible. I just as a disclaimer, all right, just want to say that. But maybe, maybe the class can be of a help to you because we do some just very simple but very important things that are in the class. So this is a help. And then I'm going to offer three observations about Elijah. Would you please help me to welcome Tenley Harden? That's it. Yeah, you're on. Okay, it's all yours, Tenley. Thank you, Thank you very much. Um, I'm Tenley. Um, I've been a member of Grace for about three and a half years. Um, and the gifts class really changed my life. Um, when I was 24, I'm 33, so about nine years ago, or, yeah, is that right? Six, seven years ago? I don't know. I teach English, not math. Um, um, I was an instructor at a community college in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just loved doing it. Um, but I thought, well, as I get my master's, after I finish getting my master's, I want to get my Ph.D. Because then I can teach at a four-year university. Um, and so I applied for a Ph.D. program um, at, a, at Georgia State and was rejected. So um, I continued on and, and kept teaching. Um, and then I decided the following year to apply again to more programs and see if I could get in anywhere. So I was rejected from all 10 schools to which I applied. Um, so I got myself up again. Um, I was really, really feeling um, just that sense of that Elijah's feeling, like I don't know why I need to keep going on. What am I doing? I prayed to God, and I said, why? Why would I have this desire in my heart to get a Ph.D. If, and then get rejected from all these schools? I just didn't understand it. And so... Um, I moved from Nashville to Alexandria, Virginia to be closer to my family, but I also thought, well, you know, maybe my direction is to really help out in public education. How can I best do that, God? Please tell me how. So I applied to all these educational policy jobs in D.C. and was rejected from every single one. And I said, okay, I don't know what you want from me. Just tell me how you want me to, you know, help people and what is your will in my life. So I applied for any teaching position I could find in the area. And the first interview was at Mount Vernon High School, which is right down the road. And two minutes into the interview, I got that weird um, chill up my spine, and I just knew. I said, oh, that's why. I was rejected from everywhere. That's why, because it led me here. And I've worked there for four years. Uh, I teach high school English, uh, 12th grade. Um, I love it. I love my students. I'm inspired by them every day. They are very challenging at times, but... It makes me a better person. Um, needless to say, two years ago, I still had this nag in my heart, like this ego thing that went off. You need a PhD. You need a PhD. So I applied again. And, uh, you know, applied to all these schools and was finally accepted at George Mason University. And I went to the PhD program from 2009 to 2010. At first, I loved it. It was great. We were, you know, talking about big change in education, and we were really, you know, things can happen, and we're going to change the world. But then the second semester rolled around, and I don't know what it was, but I, I was sitting in a classroom not really making change. And I just felt like there's something's wrong. And I, I remember saying to myself, I feel like my soul is being robbed every day that I'm here. And I kept having these visions, too. Now, I pray, and I don't know how you hear God in your life, but a lot of times how I hear God in my life is by people. I don't usually get visions. But I kept having this vision of myself in an office just listening to people, just letting them talk and letting them vent and helping them and guiding them and mentoring them. 
And this vision kept going on and on in my mind. So finally I said, well, what is this? Well, perfect timing. The gifts class came around in May. I signed up, and I was right on the precipice of deciding, you know, should I stay in my Ph.D. program or should I go the other route and maybe become a counselor or do something in that route, in that um, field? And um, we took this assessment. And you, if you take the gifts class, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll do it again, this wonderful spiritual gifts assessment where you take a test. And for all you left brain people out there, it's great because it really affirms logically what you are supposed to be doing and what you're good at and what you feel passionate about. And so it did affirm everything that I'm good at, you know, counseling and mentoring and teaching. But what really changed my entire life was um, John has loved ones email him what they think your gifts are. And he reads them aloud in your small groups. And it's really cool to see everybody's face light up when you hear these emails. And when it came time to hear my emails, you know, I'd heard my friends and family say great things about me. But it was just different because they said, you know, Tenley is the most passionate people person that I know. She's so loyal. She will sit with you forever and wait until you, you feel better. And then she'll help you through it. And she, they just kept, you know, reaffirming for me what I needed to hear. So that night I went home and I quit my Ph.D. program. And I thought, oh, $8,000, that's going down the drain. But that's okay. It's God. God is here. He'll pay my credit card somehow, you know. <laughs> you know, it'll work out. So I, uh, I still needed more affirmations about, like, which direction to go. And John's going to talk about, you know, specifics. I needed specifics. So I, I had two friends who were getting life coached. And I said, what's life coach? What is that, you know? And I, uh, I asked them, and they said, well, I just feel so blissful. My life is so abundant. You know, I feel like my whole life has been transformed. And then so I went home and started researching what is a life coach. And um, the first school that I came across was one that was completely aligned with my values, which is to live life very passionately. And all change occurs with, from within. I went to the school, got my certification. It was a very arduous process, but it was worth it because I now run my own business. I'm a life coach. I work primarily with um, families, helping them build stronger relationships. I work with small businesses and help employees feel more empowered. Um, I help uh, the owners of those businesses, you know, develop a more positive work environment. But most importantly, I work with teenagers and those who are transitioning from high school to college and really trying to find what their will is and what they feel in their heart is their, that intuition telling them that they can do this. And it was a long journey for me to get to this, but I... I, you know, I, I was with family last night, and they said, Tenley, you're glowing. You glow all the time now. I said, I know. I'm so happy. I found something that I, I can still be a teacher and still develop this wonderful gift that God has given me and told me is my will, his will in my life, and it feels so good. And he just kept saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. You're going to get there. You're going to be there. So thank you. This down. Hold on just a second. So part of the story that Tenley didn't tell you is you're moving to California, right? How could that be God? At least it's not Texas. But, uh, you know, one of the really tough things around here is we have great people like Tenley, and, and all of a sudden they move on us, and that's really hard. But we just want to say a prayer for Tenley and thank her for speaking and uh, encouraging us and inspiring us with that. And just pray God would bless her. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Tinley. God, just 
work everything out. I know you have already, but continue, Father, just to put all the pieces of the puzzle in place for her. Bless her, bring her to write all the people who she needs to help and encourage and share her gift with. God, work everything out with the move, all of it, Father. We just offer her completely to you. Bless her and anoint her in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Tinley, very much. Okay. Okay, three, uh, just three, three really quick observations from the life of Elijah. First of all, it's really important that we pay attention to the whispers, the whispers. And here's the reason why. Let's look at it. Chapter 19, 11 to 13. It's in your Bible or it's probably on the screen behind me. It says this. The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains, like a hurricane wind, right, everybody? It tore the mountains apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But, what does that say? The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was this huge earthquake, right? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. What's all all about? What's going on? After the fire came what? A gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Why? Why did he do that? Because he knew that God was in the whisper. God was in the whisper. When I'm looking for full contact living, right? I want to live that abundant life that God says is for me, that Jesus Christ says in John 10, 10, hey, you can have this full contact. When I'm searching for God's will to know what it is, you know what my deal is? I'm looking for the hurricane. I'm looking for the fire, Right? I'm I'm looking for the earthquake. I'm looking for those things. And yes, God does work that way. I mean, we just saw a few weeks ago that God answered Elijah's prayer by fire. But most of the time, what I find in my life is that God answers by the gentle whisper, that God is in the gentle whisper and the stillness of that whisper that God speaks, right? Because when you're in a relationship with somebody, I mean, how do you have, if you're in a good relationship with somebody, right? You're close, they're a good, close, close personal friend or whatever it might be. Do you like yell and scream and have fireworks all the time? I hope not, right? I mean, is that healthy? No, no, it doesn't work that way, right? So you talk, you talk, and this is the way God treats you. And so there's these whispers, and I get caught up. I say, oh, God, I want to know your will. I want full contact living. I want that, God. Give it to me. I just need, like, a big sign. I need a big sign. I need something big. Like, could you send Billy Graham to knock on my door, right? Is that too hard to do? What does he have? He's not really preaching anymore. Can you bring Billy Graham to my house and speak to me? If you do that, then I will know. Or how about the angel Gabriel? We haven't heard from him since he talked to the Virgin Mary 2000 years ago he could show up at my place or how about this god how about just taking the potomac river and just parting it like if i see it parted then i'll know the way your direction or what about this we wake up tomorrow and the democrats and republicans they just love each other right they're just all getting along oh now i know that god that you are speaking and i look for the earthquake and i look for the hurricane and i look for the fire and god says you know what i'm not in those i mean i'm in them sometimes but I'm not in them all the time. What I'm in is I'm in the whisper. And what the question is, is what is God whispering to you? And what has he been whispering to you for a long time? What I find in my life is I'm going down a path and I, the whisper and I'm following. I get myself quiet. Dude, we, we're so busy. There's so much noise in our life. We can't hear the whisper. We're so busy. We can't obey the whisper. Sometimes we get so selfish that we're not, we don't care about the whisper. But when I quiet myself, I hear the whisper and I start heading this direction. I head in this direction. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens? There's a big earthquake. There's a big hurricane and it's exciting. So I'm heading this way and I'm, and I'm moving towards full contact living and this very exciting, very dramatic thing happens. I woke, 
Man, God, look at this earthquake. You must be in this. This is the way you must be leading me. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I get off of full contact living, and I'm drawn away by the dramatic because I'm looking for the fire. Because we're human beings. That's what we look for. We're excited about fireworks. We're drawn away. People often ask me, so John, how is it that you were a pastor? How did you get into this thing? How'd that start if you tell me about it? And a lot of people say to me, so, you know, what, what happened, man? Was it like this big moment? Like, you know, did the, you were in church and like the ceiling just like split wide open, man. And there it was. And God said, yes. You know, is that what happened? Never happened to me at all. And you know what part of my promise? I really struggled for about 10 years. You can ask my wife. About 10 years, I really struggled with my call to ministry because I never had the hurricane. I never had, I never had the firestorm. I never had the earth. I struggled. I think, God, if you just give it, I never had it. You know what I did have? I had this constant whisper, this constant whisper. And then a hurricane would come along and I'd get off base and I'd start moving away from ministry. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. People ask me, how did Grace Community Church start? You know how Grace Community Church started, at least for me, in the role that I'm in? It started with a whisper, a very faint and gentle whisper. I was so burned by things that i had been through i was so hurting by a difficult time i went through and there was this whisper to me john try it again it didn't it was no earthquake it was no there's other earthquakes but it had nothing to do with this try it again what is god whispering to you what is he whispering have you quieted yourself enough to listen what is he whispering god is whispering to us all the time Second observation from the life of Elijah. Pay attention to the questions. Gosh, is this a great question right here? Let me read it and then let's take a look at it. We need people in our lives who can ask great questions, like the question that God asked Elijah. Look at this. There, there. Okay, so where, there, where's there? You know where there is here? He was in Beersheba, which we already talked about, and then he went down to Mount Horeb. Well, Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai is where God appeared to Moses and where the Ten Commandments were given. So this is the cave on Mount Sinai where Elijah is. So there he went into a cave on Mount Sinai, and the word of the Lord came to him and says this, what are you doing here, Elijah? You think God didn't know the answer what he was doing there? This question is for Elijah. It's a define the reality question. What are you doing here, Elijah? When Elijah heard it, we're fast-forwarding there a little bit. This is, this is the whisper. When he hears the whisper, he pulls the cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Second time around, the defining question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Is that true? Is he the only one left? Didn't Obadiah tell him a few weeks ago that he had saved 100 people in caves? What's the deal? What's going on with, what's going on with Elijah? Self-pity. I mean, he's all over self-pity. And what is, his, what is his core fear? We studied this a few weeks ago. It's rejection. And it's just getting hammered. That wound is getting hammered. So... This is a great question. This is a find the reality question. What are you doing here? What is he trying to say by that question? How did you get to the place that you're in? We all have to ask ourselves. If you're not living a full contact life, God's saying to you, how did you get to the place that you're in? How did you get there? What's really cool about this is right after this, the first thing that God says back to him, verse number 15, God says, I want you to go back the same way that you came in. Oh, All you need to do is reverse your steps. You had full contact living. You were fully alive at one point. You need to go back and do those same things that you were doing before. The book of Revelation says the exact same thing. When you fall off the map and you fall out of full contact living and you're not living that life of love and that fullness of life, you need to go back and do what you did 
in the first, the former days, it says. Go back and do it. So he's asking this question, how'd you get here? Now, Elijah is exhausted and he's out of God's will. And we can never live a full contact life when we're out of God's will. Now, you know what? Sometimes in my life, you know what I'll say is, there's a piece of God's will that I like. There's a piece of God's commands that I like. And can I just take a piece of the enchilada and still experience the whole thing? It doesn't work that way. We have to take the entire enchilada of God's will and God's commands and walk in that. Elijah has to deal with that right here. So God defines the reality for him. He says, is this working for you? Obviously, the answer is no. He's now in a cave. He just left a broom tree. His past two residence is a cave and a broom tree by himself, and he's praying to die. Something's not working. All right, let's look at the third observation. We have to pay attention to the specifics. All right, so God makes a statement, and he does all this self-pity stuff. And what's really cool here is like God totally ignores the self-pity stuff. You know why God totally ignores the self-pity stuff? It's because self-pity will never lead you toward full contact living. Are we clear on that? Self-pity is great. I love it. I mean, it just brings so much comfort to me to talk about how I've been dealt a bad hand or how other people have dealt me a bad hand and how life is so terrible. But you know what? The one thing, I get down in self-pity. All of us do it, don't we? We all go in self-pity. We get down in that rut. My problem is I want to build a four-bedroom, two-bath house down in that thing. I want to set up shop. Listen, we're all going to visit self-pity. The thing is, you can't get to full contact living while you're still in self-pity. You have to leave that destination. So God completely ignores it. Look what happens. So the Lord God said, all right, go back the same way you came, right? Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, now watch this. This is so cool. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aaron, Aram. Also anoint Jehu. We're getting really specific. And in case there's too many Jehus in town, he's the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, all right? So you're looking for him. And then anoint Elisha. And who is he? He's the son of Shaphat, in case you get confused, because his name is really close to yours, from Abel Mahola. And I'm wondering, does God have a hard time pronouncing? Like when he was telling this to Elijah, was he stumbling over the words too? Was he, was he, all right, to succeed you as prophet. Verse 17, Jehu's going to put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha's going to put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. But I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. He completely ignores the salvation. There's, there's not a rebuke here. There's not really a chastisement. There's no frustration or disgust on God's part. He's just like, hey, man, you can't make it to where you need to go by being there in self-pity. He kind of ignores it. You know, when we're suffering with self-pity, it's almost like some something gets up on our shoulder right up next to our ear and just it i mean it's it's like riding secretariat at the belmont man just 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 go go self-pity go just wants us to you know who secretary is okay all right let's move on because instead god says i've got you know what god says i have a job for you i've got another assignment for you we can't experience the fullness that jesus christ is talking to us about in john 10 10 unless we have a job to do right genesis adam and eve okay here you are you've got paradise it's all good but you can't lay on the beach all day i want you to actually take care of this garden right because that's the way we're wired everybody we're wired. we want a task to do you got to have a job to do and if you don't know what your job to do is from god we're going to have a problem we are going to have a problem 
You have to know what that job is. Do you know what your job is? Elijah needed a job. He was without a job after Carmel. Boom, job's over. Didn't know what to do. And now God says, okay, buddy, I, I fed you. You did a lot of sleeping. You've been hanging out at the broom trees and the caves now. And now I need you to remind you, I got a job for you. Matter of fact, the job is very specific. Here's specifically what you... You know what happens when we know specifically what to do? It focuses our lives. And when our life is completely focused, what does that lead to everybody? What happens when you focus a light down, really focus down? It becomes powerful, doesn't it? Like, we, don't we make lasers out of that? Does anybody know? Am I right? Do we make lasers out of that when focus light? Somebody say yes if I'm right. Thank you. Okay. So, and what is that? That laser can like cut metal, right? This is what happens when you know specifically what to do with your life. And so God gets very specific. He said, I want you to go see Hazael. I want you to go see Jehu. I want you to go see Elisha. And what does Elisha become? Becomes his little protege, his disciple. He, you know, Elijah's problem for so many years of his life, he was a one-man band. The Lone Ranger has Tonto. Elijah has nobody. He's got, so he said, you need somebody, you need somebody to encourage you and you need somebody to be accountable to. You need somebody when you're down and you're making dinner and, and your house down at the bottom of self-pity, you need somebody to say, hey, come on, buddy, <laughs> we got to get up out of here, right? He needed somebody in his life and that's exactly what he had. He had something specific. Okay, look, um, let me conclude with this about specifics. So when I was in Bible college, we had a guy come, and I actually was not here the day it happened, but man, I heard this story so many times. If I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. Some guys from my basketball team were there and stuff, and so we had a chapel service. No, it wasn't a chapel service. It was a special like evening service or something that went on. We brought in a guest speaker, and uh, the guy's name was Tony, and Tony came in. He was, he was a... He was a um, a professor at another college it was like down the way i went to school up in pennsylvania so anyway so tony comes in and he preaches this message and a group of guys after he was done preaching that night a group of guys came to tony say tony uh we really feel like god wants us to pray for you that god would bless your ministry and man that was great tonight we just want to pray for you so all these guys get around him and they all put hands on him so they circle and everybody every guy's got a hand on on tony and they start whew, they start going to town they're praying praying for him. well here's the problem there was one guy in that circle who was praying but he wasn't praying for Tony. And this was really odd for Tony. This guy was praying for Harry. I don't know what the guy's name is. I'm making the name up. But he's praying for a friend of his by the name of Harry. And everybody's, oh, Lord, bless Tony. And just continue, God. And this guy, oh, God, bless Harry. <laughs> Harry's a friend of mine. Harry's a student here. Harry's married to Harriet. And Harry and Harriet have three kids. And here's their name. And Harry drives a green car. And Harry lives at this address. And he says the address. He lives in a mobile home at this address. And oh God, you know that he's left his wife today. And God, you know that he's left the ministry today because he's going to, but oh God, bring Harry back. And after he did that, and Tony's like, ooh, this is really weird, man. What is with these guys? And after he did that, you know what the guy did again who was praying for Harry? He prayed for him again. Oh God, you know my friend Harry. He's married to Harriet. He's got three kids and here's their names. And he lives at this address and he drives his car. Oh God, bring him back. Bring him back because he's out of your will. And after he did it the second time, you know what he did? He did it a third time. Oh, God, you know Harry. He's married to Harry. He's got these kids. And I'm thinking my buddies are telling this story. And I said, are you serious? All these? yeah, man, the guy just prayed all these specifics about Harry. Who's Harry? Nobody knows who Harry is. But the guy who prayed, he knows him. And Tony's in the middle. He's like, man, this is the weirdest prayer I've ever had in my life. So they get done. He gets back in his car. He gets on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. He's going down the Turnpike. And he never picks up hitchhikers. But he picks up a hitchhiker and the guy gets in and he says, my name's Tony. What's yours? He says, my name's Harry. He says, Harry, you're married to Harriet. 
here's the names of your kids and here's your address. You drive a green car. Did that get Harry's attention? Do you think that Harry went back to his wife? Do you think that Harry went back to school? Do you think that he focused his life and he headed toward a life of abundance and got away from the life that was about ready, he was about ready to be robbed of everything that God wanted from him? Listen, everybody, it's very important to have specifics. There is something. You're sitting here today in this seat this morning, and I want you to know this, that God knows exactly where you are, and he has something specific for you to do. He doesn't have something vague. God didn't say, Elijah, I want you to be a prophet for me. Now, there's the world. Go. Prophesy. (laughs) He did not do that. He did not even say, there is all Israel before you. He did not do that. Everywhere along the way, God has, I want you to talk to Ahab. I want you to go to Cherith. I want you to go to Zarephath. I want you to see Hazael. I want you to see Elisha. I want you to anoint Jehu. It's specific, and God has the same thing for you. And when you know what it is, man, you can with power launch out into what God has for you. Please, listen to the whispers of God. Do not let your life be so noisy that you can't listen to the whispers. Don't let your life be so busy that you don't obey the whispers. Don't allow your life to be consumed with self-pity and selfishness that you don't care about the whispers. And do not walk back out these doors here this morning and say, I can't have full contact living. It won't work for me because it will. God knows you. He sees you sitting in that seat and he has a specific thing for you to do. I want to encourage you to really talk to God about that this morning as we close in prayer. And I want to remind you, the prayer team's on the wall over here. Elijah, the great prophet, man of God, greatest prophet, many consider that ever lived in Israel, needed Elisha. Your Elishas are on the wall right over here. Pray with somebody. Get so disgusted and say, you know what? I really need help. I want to know the specifics. Sign up for for the gifts class. But please, Do not walk out of these doors and say, it'll just never happen for me. Because God says it can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you tell us in the book of Deuteronomy that you set before us life and death. And then you say to us, Father, choose life. God, I pray that every single person in this room this morning would choose life, me included. God, you know it's hard enough. Sometimes I go through these things myself, so I totally identify with the person who's sitting here this morning saying, yeah, I know that'll work for other people, but it won't work for me. God, I pray that you would cause those words of discouragement and doubt that are generated by the enemy just to be vanquished from this place today. And that, Father God, we would hear what you're trying to say to us from your word. That, God, we can experience a fullness of life. Help us to respond to the whispers of your presence, of your spirit here this morning in Christ's holy name. Amen.